G'day, it's Parky here. Welcome to the Cancel Sailwatch Podcast. Today, Luke flies his first flight test. Flight tests have been known to make the bravest of pilots break into a nervous sweat. In fact, it's probably one of the most humbling things a pilot can do. The facade is put to the test of, hopefully, an unyielding, unbiased standard of a formal test. Think driving tests, but an extra dimension, the third dimension, worse. Today, we talk through tests, old and new, all this and more on the Cancel Sailwatch Podcast. Thanks for joining us. So obviously exciting time for you, Luke, with achieving your recreational pilot's license. Well done, another high five. Thank you very much. Now that is a big milestone, and so I thought today we'd discuss first license, or what I've actually termed it as first flight test. So mm-hmm. looking at our experiences of the first flight test, that so for most of us was probably GFPT, which effectively would have got us a RPL as yeah, equivalent. So it's, just, it's, what is an RPL? RPL anyway, it's pretty much exactly the GFTP, except instead yeah. of the responsibility being on an instructor, it's yeah. all on the pilot. So, okay. And what does it allow you to do? Um, it allows you to fly within 25 nautical miles yeah. of the aerodrome or just... So about 50 k's. Yeah, there about. 50 k's and, and anywhere in the training area or mm. anywhere to the training area. Mm. Um, I think really the only, yeah, really the only difference between the GFTP and the RPL is that because it's an actual license, you can like say, assign the daily inspection and all that kind of stuff you don't need to get it checked off with an instructor first great so you're there yes i am i got it it's really mm. cool i'm still waiting on a little bit of paper but i passed yep. so <laughs> wow so that's very cool so you know probably akin to i guess getting your driver's license for the first time so i thought we'd talk about first flight tests first license kind of stuff and i did a little bit of research on when licensing came in and actually ended up at the australian archives which i'll share here in a minute but really interesting because back in the pioneer days according to wikipedia anyway i'll I'll put a little link there it talks about pilot training as being quite rudimentary and although the right model a used by the wright brothers for training in europe had been fitted with dual controls most aircraft were not dual control aspiring pilots would simply be put in charge of a machine and encouraged to progress from taxing the aircraft and then to short line flights then be uh, told to after they'd landed to try turn so by themselves. Quite interesting. A bit like, I guess, trying to get your motorbike license. You kind of yeah. have to listen to what the instructor's saying. So imagine that, though, in these very old, quite, or not antiquated at the time, they were quite modern at the time, but mm-hmm. quite underperforming aircraft, and you're jumping in there, and the instructor who's on the ground watching is trying to explain it to you rather than show it to you. I mean, nowadays, we as instructors probably got a bit easier because we can show you straight away, and that's worth probably a million words if a picture's worth a thousand words. So these guys would do those bits and pieces and then sometimes ground handling experience was built up using a special short span machine that was incapable of flight. There was a French aircraft that did that. But most flight training was done early in the morning or in the evening when there was very little wind for obvious reasons because these things had really low stall speeds and of course if the wind did something fickle or you know turned to a tailwind or a bit of wind shear these things just fell out of the sky so and the time taken to qualify for a license was therefore greatly dependent uh, on the weather so i looked up the first aviation license holders in australia from the national archives would you believe and also from a couple of other websites and i'll put the links there um, so the first, I'm going to go for the I'm a father of three daughters. I'm going to go for the first Australian woman pilot license holder because she was very cool. Nancy Bird Walton, she became mm-hmm. the youngest commercially licensed female pilot, not only in Australia, but in the British Commonwealth in 1934. The following year, she ran an air ambulance service in Outback, New South Wales, and she became known as the Angel of the Outback for her work with the Royal Far West Children's Health Scheme. She flew many hours in her leopard moth 
operating the first aerial baby clinic and aerial charter services. Which again, interesting to me because we did a lot of uh, NEO jobs mm. in Care Flight, which is now Life Flight. Uh, and so she was already doing it and helping in a leopard moth. During the Second World War, she became the Commandant of the Women's Air Training Corps and in 1950, she founded the Australian Women's Pilot Association. So that's the first Australian woman pilot license holder. The first man uh, was a guy called William Hart of Sydney and that actually happened in uh, 5th of December 1911 and was given by, I think, the Australian Air League at the time. So it was a recognition because most people were just getting around doing it on their own. It wasn't legislated. It wasn't regulated. In those days, the chief pilot was also the chief engineer. So you can imagine his pre-flight was done pretty well or his daily was done pretty well. Uh, so this guy, William Hewitt Hart, in 1911, 5th of December 1911, was given his license. He was a, a dentist and he was the third of nine children. His dad was a timber merchant, Parramatta. He was educated locally. He apprenticed at 16 to a dentist and he practiced at West Wylong. Mechanically minded, he was always interested in aviation. And in 1911, he bought himself a Bristol box kite from Joseph Hammond in pounds. How much do you reckon that was that he paid for it? 50 pounds? No, a bit more. Maybe like... Seven seven hundred pounds, one thousand three hundred and thirty-three pounds. That was so a lot of money. That would have been days. a lot of money back yeah, in the day. Wow. Who was touring Australia as a demonstration pilot for the British and Colonial Aeroplane Company? Now again, like the Wright brothers have flown flown ten years before. Mm. Like ten years, that's not for us now. Two thousand seven. What's two thousand seven yeah. to me and Sam? That feels nothing. Maybe to you, it feels <laughs> a bit more. But you know, like that's ten years. It's it's almost nothing. He had received some tuition from Hammond's mechanic and first flew solo on third of November. So it would have been one of those flights we described earlier. Where, you know, do a bit of a takeoff run. Uh, okay, now ease it up into the air, bring it back down, now try a turn. So mm. with the mechanic, helped him out a bit. By 16th of November, he had completed flying tests conducted by the Aerial League of Australia and he was presented with Australian Aviators Licence number 1, dated 5th of December 1911. So who was testing him? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How, so, how did they approve the test? Yeah, good good question. Probably on the ground again. doesn't <laughs> say here. Probably watching him on Probably the ground. Probably the eyes closed. I guess it's like he arrived back and yeah. he arrived back. So did you like <laughs> this license was superseded by the Federation Aeronautique Internationale Certificate Number no. 199 issued by the Royal Aero Club of the United Kingdom in 1912. Anyway, so then uh, it goes on and he actually crashes his monoplane about a year later at Wagga. It's wrecked and he ends up really badly injured. He tries to enlist into the Australian Imperial Force into the Army Flying Corps and they knock him back. He then tries to enlist again in World War II into the Royal mm-hmm. Australian Air Force and they knock him back mm-hmm. as well because of his uh, bad injuries. He actually did bring in a bunch of very interesting new dental theories. So I also found, just stumbled upon in the archive, and I'll put these little links there as well, uh, the first suspension, as far as I can tell, of someone's license. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I can safely say his name since it's some 90-something years ago. T.H. Barkle of... 81 Denison Street, Waverley. And all it says, it's it's actually a little photo of the original manuscript. Cancelled for breaches of regulations. <laughs> I don't know. That's very mysterious. I don't know what that <laughs> is. But big. followed thereafter in December of that same year, uh, 1923, R.C. Nelson 
this one will be a bit more uh, probably relatable to us of St. Leonard's Crow's Nest, suspended for low flying over Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the first one was probably from beating the living daylights out of somebody as well. <laughs> Maybe it was scaring somebody. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of interesting in terms of first license holders. But Luke, tell us about your flight test and how you got your uh, RPL the other day, your recreational pilot's license the other day. So the flight test, yeah. So the flight test, I was, it was probably the first thing I've actually been a little bit nervous about in mm. the whole time I've been mm. kind of flying. Well, I guess because, yeah, you've you've got to perform to a certain standard um, and I knew I could do all of the things. And I think one of the, the tricky things for me working full time and doing it on the side is that I don't get to fly as often as someone who would, you know, go flying every week on, on say, like a proper pilot's course or something like that. So it had taken me, I started my very first lesson in April last year yeah. and I went for the test just a couple of weeks ago. Or was that, I think we're in uh, mid-February. Yeah. So to give people an idea of your rhythm, you're essentially flying once every couple of weeks yeah, financially yeah. that's what's sustainable for yeah, you yeah. and obviously work-wise that's what's sustainable yeah, so. yeah um so i think my biggest uh thing with the practical flight test is i knew that some of the stuff that we were going to be tested on is stuff that i'd done like eight months ago you know um coming up to the exam we went up with the instructor and had the opportunity to just go through all of those kind of things again so it wasn't too bad and mm-hmm. that was the day directly before the exam and uh i kind of asked the instructor because i like I had no idea what to expect, like what yeah. level of, yeah, your first test. Uh, you know, what they were looking for, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So I was kind of just slowly going, if you were a flight examiner, would you have passed me based on my performance? And he was like, yeah, no, I think that was good. So that was that yeah. was nice and that was nice and reassuring. Yeah, that morning, uh, the next morning, the flight test started at seven o'clock in the morning because the examiner had other stuff to do in the day. And so I got up uh, nice and early and had a, a decent kind of breakfast, but not too big. Mm-hmm. And came to the aero club and we went through a weight and balance for the for the aircraft so mm-hmm. did all that kind of stuff and then once he was happy with that actually the the day before i'd been doing lots and lots of practice mm-hmm. just before especially yeah. the weight and balance kind of stuff mm-hmm. and being a perfectionist and a programmer i'm used to dealing with very very precise numbers now the performance mm-hmm. chart i'm not sure if the listeners have seen performance charts but you have basically if your airfield elevation is something like 1700 feet you've got maybe a, it's kind of like you've got to draw lines on this performance chart and, and they're yeah, thick lines they're, they're thick lines and there's you know the difference of a thousand feet about a centimetre and yeah, then you've yeah. got to so you've got to do it like a really fine <laughs> pen so I, I just struggled that, with that really bugged you didn't it uh, it did <laughs> I was like why have people not made an app for this <laughs> and I know they have and I've actually since made one for my aircraft but I'm not sure if I can legally use it so I just use it to check the one that I, I do so I get an exact oh, number oh that's good that's good to know um, any, any regulators listening would yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they would use the app themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I can't um, speak for them. <laughs> but yeah, so we did that. That all worked out uh, really well. Uh, and then we went and did the, the walk around. So I did the pre-flight and mm. talked him through all the different kind of bits. And I'd taken, I actually got the opportunity to take a photo of the engine without the cowling and everything uh, mm. on the aircraft a couple of months before so I could really study the engine and how it worked. And found a really cool YouTube video on exactly how they make the Lycoming engine that's uh, that's in it. So that was really nice. handy as well. Mm. So I was able to pass all that really, really well. And the instructor that I got, he's a really nice guy. If anyone is at the Toowoomba Aero Club, it's the the one instructor that's there, mm. or the one examiner that's mm. there. So some of you might know him. But he was, he was the perfect balance, I think, of friendly but professional. Mm. So he didn't want you to 
fail, but you obviously had a standard to meet. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it was it was really good to to have. I think my mm-hmm. first first flight test with. So yeah, so we got the aircraft and we went flying. And because it was so early in the in the morning, we were at, there was actually a, a bit of an inversion layer that we were flying mm-hmm. above, uh, which. It was really nice to fly in, but I was kind of hoping for a little bit of wind or something so that any mistake <laughs> that I did in yeah. like a steep turn, I might have been fudged by the wind a little bit, but it was dead calm. <laughs> so I was like, Very oh, different man. to William Hart, who would have wanted no wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so exactly. Should have had some wind. Um, <laughs> but I've got, I've got two funny stories. So yeah. it came to the, the point where we'd done steep turns. Mm. And so uh, he was like, I want to see a steep turn greater than 45 degrees left, right, mm. as you do. And I was kind of like, well, I don't want to just do 45 because I want to show you that I'm a bit better than just doing 45. <laughs> so oh, I went you're, straight You're one that. of those pilots. <laughs> you're one of those annoying uh, pilots. <laughs> um, so I, I just went straight for the 60 degree. And the other well, thing too is I could remember the sight picture better for a 60 yeah, degree yeah. one so that was actually yeah. why well, I took the 60 degree let me just one. set the scene a bit so we talked in previous episodes about how when we do steep turns in helicopters you know you've done a really good steep turn if after going through uh, 360 you come back through your own downdraft and you feel like a thump yep that's the real test. Yes, that is the real test. I did my 60-degree angle of bank, steep turn, and as it would happen, I did hit my own wake in the in the exam. <laughs> but this is the first time it had happened. You are one of those pilots. <laughs> You're one of those annoying pilots are really good at everything. Uh, we might forget someone else. We might want someone failing and coming here and say, oh, I failed, and then we've got drama, and, you know, we can give you a hug. And you keep coming here and going, oh, I've done so well. <laughs> but uh, so this is, uh, like, I'd heard about it. I'd heard about it. Happened, but it is the first time it happened. Test. On the flight exam. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no, it was really good. But um, I, for a second, I didn't realize what had happened. I was like, oh, crap. I've done, like, I've not done it so properly. I'm going to die. Like, Practice. Yeah, yeah. But he just, yeah, he turned well, to me. Just, speed uh, to height. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. You're in a, in a, in a tomahawk. Sorry. Don't do nah, in a tomahawk. Brace, brace, brace. You don't have any speed, so you can't no, speed to height. No. Yeah, sorry, you're going. But, but yeah, no, he just looked at me and said, well, I can't ask for better than that. And I felt, you know, pretty good after that bit so that was pretty cool but uh, um, you, mate. that's good that's, yeah, that's good you know why well, don't you because of the podcast and me and Sam yeah oh, it's clearly because of you <laughs> yeah, absolutely but uh, so the second kind of thing which I thought in hindsight was a bit funny but at the time I was kind of uh, I wasn't like super nervous or Anyway, I'll, I'll explain the story. It'll be mm. more interesting to explain. So we've done all of the work out of the training area. Mm. So that's all the PFL, the practice mm. force landings, uh, steep turns, unusual attitudes, all that kind of stuff. And we we're coming back into the aerodrome and there was there was a fair bit of traffic at the aerodrome just mm. doing random stuff. And I think it must have been other, um, other students from other areas or something mm. like that because they were saying things that didn't really make sense. And even my instructor or the examiner was kind of like, you know, that doesn't really make sense, that kind of mm. stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's all right. Uh, I've got to be responsible for all of the mm. things that are happening on this flight test. And if he wasn't here, I'd still have to make all of these decisions yeah. and stuff. And one of the really the, the cool bits of advice that my dad has uh, given me is, and, I, and I've noticed it too, is a lot of people will, especially maybe around our aero club or, mm. or something like that, I don't know, the type of people that do this, but they will just kind of report where they are, but not really 
Mm. anything else so like yeah. if uh, like I'll say hey doing my inbound call I'll estimate a time in circuit is 5-5 five, five, so in like 3 minutes or something like that and then other mate will get on the radio and he'll be like oh yep estimated time in circuit 5-5 five, five. yeah and it's like doesn't tell you anything yeah okay yeah, well, five, well cool five. okay so yeah. one of the things that he said to me is take charge of that situation yeah. and say well I'm coming in from the south you're coming in from here then how about you jump in ahead and I'll go out to the west a yeah, little bit yeah. and come in behind you so yeah, yeah. not not in kind of like a ha oh, I'm taking control mm. but just if no one's kind of actually made any plans as to how this is going to be resolved, mm. then take mm. it upon yourself to do so. Mm. Make a radio call. This will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the next five minutes. <laughs> no. So anyway, what had happened is... Sorry, if I just jump in for people oh, yeah. who may not know, trying to see other aircraft in the circuit, they're just small dots. Yeah. You know, outside of five, ten nautical miles, they're just small dots. They could be a bird, they could be... And it's very difficult. So we really rely heavily on radio calls so we can build our SA or situational awareness of where those aircraft are. So. Yeah. Hence the radio call being important. Yeah. So um, I was. What was I doing? I think I was joining. I was joining a crosswind, and yeah. and, and the other guy was joining a downwind. Mm-hmm. So basically, for people listening, when you take off off the runway, you're on upwind. Then, mm-hmm. depending on the circuit direction, you mm-hmm. say it's a left circuit. You turn left onto crosswind, left onto downwind, left yeah. onto base, then left onto final and land. So, yeah. So each leg of the circuit's named. Yeah. Like so I was going to enter a crosswind, and he was entering a downwind, and mm-hmm. I could see him, and we were quite close. So there was a confliction, like yeah. basically ninety degree confliction heading towards each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, he was also, I think, a little cirrus, which was going to go really, really slow, and I was behind Even him. Even slower than a tomahawk. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry, it wasn't a serious. It was like a... Oh, it must have been like a little ultralighty kind of... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, definitely much like slower. Jabberoo or something. Yeah, it could have been something like that. So anyway, I'd, ne- <laughs> I'd, I'd only ever heard of this being done I've never actually had to do one of these before but yeah. do like an, an orbit to kind of f- oh, for yeah. sequencing so or for spacing yeah, yeah. so to give him a bit of time to head down downwind and then onto base and yeah so if you do an orbit right it should take you about two minutes and that gives you a bit of extra space now I have never actually done an orbit and I wasn't uh, exactly sure if you were allowed to do one on downwind if because you know you're on the mm. active side of and I'm not exactly sure mm. what you're supposed to be doing and I couldn't ask the instructor because he said specifically I'm, I'm not going to tell you stuff. You're just going to yeah, make yeah. these decisions. Yeah. And I'd heard, and the only reason I thought of doing it is because I'd heard my my instructor like maybe two months before saying, "Oh yeah, no, this guy was doing downwind. Mm-hmm. I just did an orbit. And yeah, it was yeah. just kind of fine." So I was kind of just really hoping yeah, that he'd yeah. done something legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of just said, "Okay, well, we're doing an orbit mm-hmm. on the downwind. We'll do it, and then rejoin yeah, downwind yeah. and go off." And the instructor, uh, yeah, and the examiner was like, "Yeah, yeah, good job, sweet." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Thank goodness." <laughs> it's interesting because, like Sam was saying. Uh, either earlier or another podcast is it's such a big confidence game so you know in your head mm. all that's probably the right thing to do but if you haven't seen it before mm. or you, you haven't seen your instructor do it or it's something new it's you lack the confidence, but if you've yeah. seen it done before and you know your instructor set the example, or whatever it's oh yeah cool doing an orbit yeah. and it yeah. yeah it's an amazing mm. mental game really mm. uh, so I was, Sam you, I was hoping you're going to do an orbit and cut across your wake and <laughs> no, no. flip upside down. We'll, we'll do that Well, he's once. not that kind of pilot. Haven't you worked that out? You have to get someone that is that kind of pilot because clearly we're not going to have the drama that we need. Yeah. Oh, no, that's great though, mate. Well done. Mm, really thanks. well yeah, done. Absolutely. And so like, I was just thinking as I asked Sam this question about you know his first flight test, you know, you talked about taking a photo of the engine Forehand with your eye, yeah, well, not you're not an iPhone guy, Android man. Android, yeah. sorry about that. This, pod- this is what this podcast has come to. <laughs> yeah. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to take a photo, you would have had to get your, I don't know, Kodak 
mm. thing out and maybe there might have been Polaroid back then but mm. then I know you've been in previous flights using a GoPro mm. um, to record so you can debrief you've probably seen written things down I know mm. I wrote things down as a debrief uh, then you're talking about an app that you built in the Tomahawk. I suspect it's got a GPS now, does it? Like no, not the Tomahawk. Oh, but you've got one on your Android yeah, phone. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, moving map display there if you mm. really want it. It's just it's interesting. And so mm. t- just tell us about your first flight test. Yeah, 40 years well, ago. well, back in 1974, I did my intermediate flight test at one flight training school, one FTS in Point Cook, mm. in a windshield. Wow. And this was around, the, they called it the 25-hour test. The lead-up to this was a posting cycle and the instructors had been moved around. And up to the 25-hour test, I probably had about five different instructors. Mm. As you know, it's a bit of a game, or it is in the military, mm. a bit of a game within instructors. You're trying to second-guess what they want. And all so I was yeah. thoroughly confused as to what was required. As far as checks and all that sort of thing, I was... I was up to speed and all that but I think that I was in retrospect that I I was trying to second guess what was going on I did the test with the army liaison officer at the time Steve Tizard and I hadn't flown with him militarily before but he's the guy who sent me solo yeah I remember on the Cherokee 140 yeah and you talked about it on the first solo episode which people yeah. can go back and listen to as I said I was, I was trying to probably second guess what was going on I was more than somewhat confused and, uh, as a result I done nearly 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 blew the whole lot for most of the sortie I was probably about one meter behind the cockpit mm. crawling to crawling slowly forward so what what would that look like just like slow sort of decision making you know was like your standard of flying was a bit up and down or no speak? no it wasn't so much the, the standard of flying it was it asked me to do something yeah and I was thinking which way am I going to do this oh yeah I, I was quite confident about that there was there were more than subtle differences yeah. with the way people approached oh, yeah, different yeah. things mm. So I was trying to make him happy, and I didn't have a, a clue what his line in the sand mm. was. Mm. I knew where the other various lines in the sand were. It nearly didn't work for me. Mm. He could, probably the only thing that got got me out of it is he knew darn well that I knew the knew the checks, yeah. knew the procedures, the radio procedures, mm. things like that. But the would you, what's the right word for it? The actual sequences were yeah. nowhere near. So it just didn't kind of flow. Like didn't flow. Yeah. No. Was, yeah. Well. No. Well, because you bring up an interesting thing too, is like, I mean, were you feeling really anxious beforehand yes. and nervous? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think that's a really thing for our listeners to know is like whatever your performance level is at normally in a non-test environment, let's say it's 100%. Mm. Right, I reckon on a test, what do you reckon it's at? Because of anxiety, well, you, you're one of those places. You don't get that. Anxious. Oh no, I reckon. I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> no, probably like seventy or eighty percent. Yeah, is how I, confident yeah. I was feeling compared to just yeah. when I go flying. I'm the same. I reckon it drops mm. to about sixty or seventy or something. Mm. You know, just because of that nervousness, and mm. and that's an interesting, interesting too. Because as a trainee, new to an aircraft, you don't have the necessary context to understand that there are some things the instructor might like. But mm. whether you do what he likes or not on a test doesn't really matter. There's a standard that you mm. have to meet, and then there are heaps of things that instructors might prefer you to do in slightly different ways. Like some might like you to do, in certain circumstances, a circular base instead of a square base mm. or things like that. It's mm. not necessarily pass or fail, but you're going, okay, I don't I don't want to displease this guy. Mm. He's my testing officer. And so you mm. end up exactly the same thing happened to me. You'd be just second guessing yourself and going, yeah. oh, should I do this? Should I do that? And this is an aircraft that's traveling forward. Most of them, yeah. even in a 
tomahawk or a helicopter wind you, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres per hour across the ground, you're chewing up space, you're chewing up time, mm. that other aircraft's getting closer, the next event's getting closer while you're going, oh, what should yeah. I do? What does this guy want? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, how do we overcome that, I guess? Is- yeah, well, the hindsight's always twenty twenty. Mm. We've already alluded to this before. If you need to make a decision and you need to enunciate what it is. In other words, I'm going to do this. And whether it's right or wrong, if you say you're going to do that and you physically do what you brief you're going to do, well, they can hardly criticise that, can they? It might have been the wrong technique, but you mm-hmm. did exactly what you said you were going to do. It's when you when you say you're going to do something and you depart from the profile mm-hmm. is where you, you get into bit. But I didn't know this at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm kind of making a decision, not enunciating, kind of looking across the <laughs> embers of, is, is he going to go? So he, he lies out in like dinner plates and is he in fear or is he look fairly, fairly relaxed and must be doing the right so thing? Was he, was he thinking, he said, who is this creepy trainee that just yeah. been staring at me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was it. It was nearly nearly a fail. And, and as we alluded to in the previous uh, session, I'd been looking, wanting to be a pilot Mm. Ever since I was I was a kid, I mm. mean, this was the time we we knew darn well if you mm. if you failed, you were out. Mm. You didn't get a second chance. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Gone. So and if you had failed, like you know, who knows? You get into that vortex mm. of nervousness. Mm. You get mm. increasing anxiety mm. on the next flight. You're actually thinking mm. even more. What does he mm. want? And it's mm. even worse. Mm. You know, it's it's amazing psychological kind of vortex that you get yeah. in at that point. So if you're on the ground, you dig yourself a hole. It gets bigger, but in the air, you kind of can't really dig yourself a hole. Yeah. What well, you would refer to that Well, as. I remember talking to guys that, you know, even more experienced than me, and they still get nervous on tests. Mm. Uh, and then I talked to other guys, and you know what? You've got to be realistic about a test as well. Sometimes you have a great test. You have your best test ever, and it just goes really well. Other times you get in the aircraft, and you'll do something you know, you'll make a mistake or do something wrong almost from the get-go. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a pass-fail wrong, but it knocks your confidence around. And, and he was telling me, you've just got to go, listen, it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> Let's just live with it. Let's just do the best we can with what we've got today. You know, mm-hmm. so instead of being an 80% performance for the test, I'm now 60, but that's still going to get me across the line. And there's probably going to be other things that happen that are worse on this test. So I might as well just steal myself for it right now. <laughs> I thought, you know what, that's really realistic. It actually yeah. helped me with my anxiety and yeah. my nervousness to realise yeah. that. Yeah. But, yeah, that can be a horrible thing, very very draining. Mm. Um, mm. So. <laughs> yeah, I just went home and slept for two hours after yeah. that. <laughs> but but the feeling afterwards too, the reward yeah. from that pain is yeah. like so good. Like, like yes, happy. I've done it. You know, yeah. It's a really great feeling, which I don't think you probably get in too many other sort of situations so sam you've obviously completed a lot of flight tests yourself and also run flight tests what's the worst thing you've ever seen on a test well the, the one that i did myself was the yeah was the the worst yeah what was that uh, the uh that the, was the one i was telling you about the, yeah yeah the intermediate flying test was just to mm. me it was just abysmal yeah so when i was conducting flight tests i used to make sure that the guys knew what, what was going to happen and I would also say to him before we went out, I'd say, right, I'd say, like, we're going to go and have fun here. We're going to learn this stuff. And if we don't have fun, I'm going to be the, I'll come back and I'll give myself a fail, fail ride. So we kind of established that sort of attitude right at the start. I think it was one of the questions that's coming up as far as failing anybody's concerned. Yeah, yeah, I did, in fact, fail somebody who had a, a three-flight covering assessment covering instrument flight, general flying and advanced flying. That was on a particular person who was being assessed to become an instructor and I I failed this guy and it didn't achieve anything because he eventually became the instructor of instructors so they didn't take any notice of me. But that was, in fact, turned out to be political. They they wanted this particular person to be 
achieve something. But the one interesting thing was because of the attitude which I've showed you before, I wanted to, to be very pro as opposed to uh, trapping people. Mm. I never actually failed any of my trainees across my whole career. And that's why I got this, the, the nickname Santa Claus for a period of time. But there's one guy that's who... That's why we all wanted to fly with you, but I didn't know you were called Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's, there's one guy who uh, I was flying with, I won't say names. He, and I'd been involved with this guy's mm. training quite a lot. And it was his final assessment, like your dad's was on NVGs, but this was on a car and not on, a, on an Iroquois. So he mucked up right from the start. But the silly part about it is I knew he could do it. And it was just one of those things you said where his, his, his adrenaline was running. Mm. It was one of those nights. Yeah. Everything was turning to poo for him. He, mm. he just wasn't mm. functioning. Mm. And I, I just knew that it was because of the nerves, because it was the type of makeup yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah. So when we came back, I always used to say to the guys when we had five miles inbound at the gate I'd say well how do you reckon you went blogs and he said oh he said I bloody failed that one and, and I said to him well I'm so bloody mad at you that I'm going to pass you anyway <laughs> and this guy kind of oh, what <laughs> so and, and, and as I, I said to him the debrief I know darn well you could you do this I knew it was just mm. test nerves yeah and that guy went on to be a very very successful instructor a very good squadron commander and he's one of our current commanders in aviation mm. hence no names yeah Hence, no names, and I've got a lot of time time for him and well, I, I different just, ways of doing things. I had a similar thing happen to me where we were flying out of Goulburn, uh, out to Goulburn to do the NDB. And I think I've shared this one before, but the instructor I was flying with, same kind of thing. He said, I'll always give you a joker card so you can do, even if it's a fail thing, if it's one of those brain fart type moments, and we know that it's not the general pattern of how you've been. Because it can. That's that's why I get nervous about tests. Because you can always have one of those brain fart things. That's why I mm. think it's. I'll just be honest. I think it's ridiculous to tell people that, for instance, on instruments that plus a hundred feet MDA, so MDA is minimum des, uh, descent altitude minus zero. If I see you go minus one underneath that altitude, which you're trying to get to, so you can get visual. By the way, mm. you're out, mate. That's that's pass fail. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, mm. If you're going below it and keeping on going below it, then yeah, you should probably fail without correcting. But if you're making a correction, but but right now, even in some standards uh, mm. in Australia, if you do that, technically you should be failed. And there's a lot of contention, so that could open up debate. But what I like about this guy is you know, I'll give you a joker. So I fly to Goulburn, and I think I've told you about this. My mates in the back, we had some uh, code signals worked out. If we were doing something really bad, uh, then we would pull on each other's seatbelt. So he, we, we were doing the buddy system. So the instructor was in on the left. I was on the right. The old mate was in the back. And I'll just keep all the names out of it to protect the innocent or protect the guilty, whatever the case might be. So I flew the NDB into Goulburn. 500 feet low. It was 4,700, the start altitude, and I somehow read, just brain fart again, 4,200, probably not not attention to detail, just quickly skimming to the next thing, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is going well. Look at look at, look at that, 4,200, flying it really nice, because squirrel's quite unstable on, mm. on instruments. And he goes, that's your joker card. That's your joker card. I'm going, Phew. Anyway, I went and passed somehow. I don't yeah. know how. And, but if he'd have failed me there again, I don't know. I might have gone into that mm. vortex downwards yeah. that we've been talking about. So yeah. I was really thankful for that. And that's probably the worst thing I've done myself on a test. The worst thing I've seen on a test or in flight is a guy overseas uh, at Fort Rucker where it wasn't so much his technical or skill abilities, just his sheer arrogance where he was his dad. I'll call him Bob, but this guy was one of my trainees when I was flying UH-60 Blackhawks over there. And he uh, he just had this real bad attitude. Like he, everyone else was 
carefully bogging away, getting ready, prepping up their knowledge, and he just wasn't doing anything. And his dad was one of these big generals in the army at the time over there, and so he just thought he had a free pass. And then he got this Australian over there. They're very reticent to really fail people at all. And then so he ended up with the Australian instructor, me, and I was like, I don't mind helping people out, but if you're not going to help yourself, it's like, well, mm. come on, mate, you've got to live up to a certain expectation. And the thing about being a Blackhawk pilot is you're not just – or even a multi-crew pilot, you're not just there for the aircraft, you're there for your crew and you're there for your passengers. And like, if you've got that kind of attitude now, what kind of attitude are you going to have later on? And so I'd sat down a few times, tried to be reasonable and so forth and said, listen, you need to learn these checks here. Everyone else is learning them. You need to learn them as well. You need to learn these limits. It's not that hard. You're a smart guy. Next day in the aircraft, no, still hasn't bothered to learn. Then he goes, I'm going to F-15s anyway. It's like, that was it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went and talked to the platoon commander at the time and told him what had happened. And I said, I just think you should scrub this guy like he's... And so they did. And uh, anyway, I thought that's the end of that. And a week later, he walked back into the classroom and his daddy, who was a general, had spoken to the general at Fort Rucker. <laughs> was back and uh, back on course. So I was like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Right. And then he got, what was he, Special Forces Marine guy that had become a pilot. I still remember his name. He's a big, hulking guy. I was thinking, far out. You thought I was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my worst experience. And that was more an attitude thing. And again, we talk about pride and humility and that kind of stuff. But I think that's been a pretty good discussion today about our first flight test experiences. Any final comments from any of you guys? Just one final comment. And this could be very different between military and, and civil or even just mm. uh, the difference between RPL, PPL and the CPL stuff, like the difference between private and commercial, mm. is that one of the things that the instructor or the flight test examiner said to me beforehand is that he wasn't looking for perfect flying skills. Like mm. you've still got to be within kind of like a range, but more than anything else, he was looking for a safe flight. So yeah. if you, you could pull off all of the manoeuvres absolutely perfectly, but mm. if you didn't make the radio call to mm. kind of, you know, separate yourself from someone else, it'd fail mm. you. Mm. That, that's kind of more what he was looking for, which yeah. I thought was fair enough. Yeah, and I think that's what we're most kind of looking for. Even with that, though, I would then go, how do you remediate that? Like, say you didn't make that mm. call just because you're human, you've made a mistake. Mm. How do you then remediate that? Like, how do you remediate situational awareness? It's an interesting discussion mm. point. Mm. It's And it's not, and there's no straight answers necessarily here. I mean, you can remediate by getting up in the air more. Yeah. Um, but how would you, as a skill, because if it's plus or minus 100, you can train that yeah. again in terms of technical mm. skills, maintaining an altitude, but how do you remediate SA? Mm. The instructor should have the ability, a good instructor should have the ability to be able to withdraw and almost be non-existent, which is what that is, sounds to me mm. like a very good in, oh, instructor it was did really that. Good. Yeah. And uh, that, that's very good. Uh, mm. it, it's, you know, it's, you mm. know, sounds like got a real gem there. So as we finish off, I'm, I can delete this bit later if you want me to. You know, we we're talking about your future. Um, yeah. Because yeah. you've got your recreational pilot's license now, first mm. kind of milestone, really. Yeah, yeah. Obviously costing a fair bit of money, yep. obviously a lot of effort. And I just want to commend you, mate, because listening to the way you're prepping and stuff, that is way above what I've heard probably other people and how mm. they prep and just how you're really trying to maximise every bit, you know, every minute of the flight, every minute of yeah, the yeah. ground instruction. It's just awesome. It's awesome to hear. Uh, but obviously, you know, we were talking the other day and you're sort of going, okay, well, should I continue with this 
I guess I couldn't get drama from you failing, so now I'm going to get drama from, <laughs> drama from, from whether you're going to keep indecision. going. Indecision. Look, well, I... Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you just talk through that a little bit before we yeah. sign off? So I guess I'm at a, at a point now where I really got to decide whether I want to pursue aviation mm. civilly or mm. through defence or if it's just not for me. Mm. Like, I absolutely love flying. I really want to be mm. a pilot. So if, there, if there's like an avenue for me to do it, I think mm. I'm definitely going to go down that way. But the, the tricky decision for me now is because I've started civilly, I know that the defence guys really want to kind of try and train you the way that they want you to be trained. So mm. I've heard, and you guys probably comment on this more so than what I w- mm. uh, would be able to have any knowledge of it, but the more you kind of go down the civil route, the less likely mm. it is going to be that they're going to be happy to have you come along and join the flight course in the military. To a certain extent, I mean, I had guys that had commercial mm. pilot's licenses and things oh, like okay, that yeah, when cool. they came on course and they yeah. got through, no worries. They'd mm. be worried sometimes about negative habit transfer. I, I think that's, yeah. But I don't think that's like a war stopper in yeah. terms of a decision, yeah. like a key decision making kind of Mm. input Mm. it's what do you think sam i think you've got the uh, with your technical background i think you've got a lot to offer in in the military as the type of aircraft that they would have just announced they've Mm. got the new raptors in yeah yeah yeah. the avalon air show yeah i mean to me that you're ideally situated because that's already in your in your head Mm -hmm. guys like adrian and myself we couldn't do that because it's Mm. it's just not not there we're different Mm. types of so yeah, oh, I'm still not exactly sure as of this moment. Maybe in a future podcast, you'll you guys will know the mm. details of how I went with that decision. But it's a big decision yeah. to make. You know, there's cons and pros to to both. Well, that's what we want to do is just yeah. be realistic about it. We're going to hear for you, and like I know for the next few months, you decide you're just going to sort of uh, stop the training for now, but keep flying, get a yeah. few hours up. And yeah, we'll definitely do some podcasts around that. And and one of the things um, that my instructor said is in this kind of little bit of downtime where I'm just doing the adult thing going and mm. paying my dental bills and all that mm. kind of stuff now that I've got my RPL uh, <laughs> is I'm just going to be studying for the PPL exams. So yeah. it's not, I don't think yeah. it's wasted time. It's, it's the cheap part of the PPL. So this next two months, yeah, it'll just be good mm. study. Yeah, I might even just go for the yeah. PPL exams before I even passages? start the PPL. Yeah, I can. Oh, well, why yeah. don't you go for a fly with him? Yeah. <laughs> I've already, time. so, okay, he got, he got, he got, he have just one. No, no, no. I can have as many as the aircraft, but I'm only endorsed to fly a Tomahawk at the moment. I'll have to ask my wife. <laughs> well, no, okay. So this is for our, this is for our listeners because I'd go flying with you anytime. Yeah. Though. Oh, I reckon I'll take you flying. I'd, I'd go with you too. I'm just a bit nervous about that tomahawk for some reason. <laughs> well, so just for our listeners, I had asked Adrian when I got my license. I was like, "Cool pilot, good friend, and I'd love to take you flying sometime." And and uh, his response was, "Oh, Luke, it's been a while since I've been in a single engine piston aircraft." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just been a while, that's all. Uh, it's all good. We've got no, I would there. like, for the record and for our listeners, I would love to go flying with you, Luke. Actually, that would be a really... Maybe we could do like a live podcast. Like, yeah. Like, bring it up. Yeah, check it out. I've Lots got the recording. And... Do the... Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we'll, let, well, let's make that a date. Maybe we can... Actually, will that get airborne with like, cause with me? It depends how much. It depends. Oh, not the Tom. Tom Hawk's only oh. two-seater. So that's why you've been doing that fitness training as well. <laughs> yeah. That's what another 20 uh, litres of fuel yeah. or something. Well, here's another fun thing for the listeners is that my goal was to lose 10 kilograms because that would mean that I get an extra 30 minutes of flying mm. uh, based on the 22 litres per hour that we burn <laughs> in the Tomahawk and so you know the 45 minute reserve that means you know it's most of my reserve I only need another that's 15 like minutes worth of fuel half of and, my leg I think yeah. Yeah, that's interesting but, uh, no, yeah. look, mate, like, in all seriousness like yeah we want to be here for you and uh, we'll keep We'll mm. keep journeying together with you anyway. Mm. And I mean, like Sam was saying, there's some pretty cool aircraft you could fly. And I think you'd 
but judging mm. on what we've heard, mm. I think you could probably achieve that. But there's also real cool aircraft coming out now in the civi yeah. world as well, which yeah. are similarly similarly controlled, you know, yeah. more yeah. systems Tilt rotors now. Tilt yeah. rotors, yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's an exciting world. Drones interfacing, integrating with mm. drones and mm. all that kind of stuff, especially with rescue work. There's going to yeah. be a lot more of that. Because that was your original dream, yeah, as well, I recall. That, you want to be RFDS or, you know. Yeah, well, that's still, and that still is the, like, at the, at the end of the day, regardless of whether I get my license through the military and do the, mm. the return service or whether I do it mm. civilly and go out mm. west up north or you yeah. know, overseas or something like that, the, the end goal is to, you know, do do yeah. some kind of emergency services stuff because I just feel yeah. like that's going to be the most fulfilling yeah. way, to, way to fly. What well, was interesting is Nancy Bird Walton, I thought that was an interesting tie in that, you know, mm. once she got her license, she was uh, doing the next year Royal Flying Doctor type stuff out mm. and about. So, mm. yeah. Just no. just think, you know, if, they, if you go to an interview with... Uh, Royal Flying Doctors, they say I haven't got enough experience. What about Nancy Bird? Gee, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy Bird, well, yeah. <laughs> Let me introduce you to Nancy Bird. So anyway, we'll finish it off there, and that'll be uh, a good kind of dot, 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 what happens next. Yeah, kind of cliffhanger, our Cliff- first cancel Star Watch cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. anyway, we'll, uh, we'll sign off there, but thanks, guys. Very good. Cancel Sarwatch is the last radio call a pilot makes when a flight has landed safely. The SAR in Sarwatch is an acronym for search and rescue. When a pilot radios Cancel Sarwatch, they let air traffic services know they have landed safely and the search and rescue watch can be cancelled. If the flight has been flown safely and professionally, then the Cancel Sarwatch call must surely epitomise the spirit of aviation because it will realistically represent the totality of a pilot's attitude, training, experience and wisdom in bringing the aircraft back home safely. Cancel Sarwatch, the call we hope every pilot makes, every flight, in the name of our podcast. Again, thanks for listening and don't forget to comment and rate us on iTunes and to visit us at www.cancelsarwatch.com where you'll find additional content to help you cancel Sarwatch. We can also be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hit your Cancel Sarwatch bookmark in about two weeks for our next episode.